Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Maybe your name means something deep and, and profound, but no matter how deep your name is, there is no name like the name of Jesus Christ. I love the way Philippians 2 will say it, that God bestowed on him a name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Anybody came to lift up the name of Jesus? I just want to check in the room. You ain't just come because it's Easter. You, you actually came to lift up a praise to our great God and our great King, Jesus Christ. Well, happy Easter. He is risen. Anybody know the proper response to that? He is risen. That's it. He is risen. Is he, when I say he is risen, you respond back by just simply saying he is risen indeed. Let's practice it. He is risen. risen I need y'all to say it like he actually, like the grave, like he actually did beat the grave, like he stole something from him. He is risen. risen Certainly the grave could not hold our, our God down. And I tell you what, if he rose from the dead, that means I too one day will rise. Uh, and, And that could be if I, if I've died, the Lord's going to bring me up. If If I'm still alive, he's going to come back and he's going to take me up. The resurrection is proof that we too will rise again. Paul says it. He says if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you will be raised again too. So it's good to be here. Happy Easter. All of our all of our first time visitors. I know it's tight in here. If you could just wave your hand. If this is your first time you're here, just wave your hand. Nice and high. Oh, come on. Look at this. Look at this, y'all. Look at this. Welcome. Welcome, y'all. I see y'all in the back. Welcome. It is so good. I see y'all out in the in the lobby. So sorry we can't get everybody in. I think we're still working and still trying. Uh, and I think the TV is on out there. I know that's that's not the same. But like, hey, if you if your parents are here, I just want to quickly say because you know I I know how I know how it is when parents that you know, especially if you were like kind of born and raised in church, and parents have, have brought you up and tried their best to steer you in the things of God, and you got you know you got older. And then you chose, you know, for some people, Epiphany Church is their first choice as an adult, you know, in their 20s. And I just want to say to all the parents, we are glad that you were here. Uh, Shout out to y'all that are watching online. Uh, I get parents all the time that come to me and ask me questions and and tell me, you know, I hope you're taking care of my baby. And I just want to let the parents know that we are taking care. Hey, mom, we are taking care of your of your babies. And I know they grown babies. But nevertheless, they're your, they your baby, and, and we do our best to take care of them, and, and hopefully they will spiritually grow while they're here. Hopefully God will show the favor of, of, of his hand on them and open doors will begin to open for them because they are connected uh, to his body and his church. So shout out to the parents that are here. All right, let's get into the word of God. 1 Corinthians 15, grab your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians 15. Matthias, I felt this this morning. God sent his son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive. Y'all know this one? My mom taught me, she used to play the piano, she taught me this one. He bled and died to buy my pardon. An empty tomb is there 
time. Y'all remember this? God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He he came to earth. Heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon and empty Come on, grab 1 Corinthians 15. Woo. 
I mean, you, you can go to Luke chapter 24. Y'all know the story with the two men. I don't know if y'all know the story, but two men were on the road to Emmaus, and the Bible says they were sad because Jesus had died, and Jesus appeared to them and showed up, and then he, he gives them a Bible study, and he starts to talk to them about what it means that he rose, and the Bible says that their eyes were open when he began to show them the scriptures and declare himself as one that fulfilled the scriptures. So we could have we went there. That, wasn't, that was no pressure for me this morning. This morning, I didn't have pressure because I, I, I realized I could have preached from the two women. Y'all remember the two women that were, by the way, the first partakers and the first evangelists? I need a woman to say amen right there. The first partakers to understand the resurrection and to go and tell somebody about it were the two women. So we could have looked, looked at that. The Bible says they came with spices and ointment because they went to, to prepare the body. And, 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 and so we could have we worked that. We could have talked about the angel. Remember, the angel is there, and the angel says, uh, who are you looking for? He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, we could have spent time just talking about the angel's words. So I, I don't have pressure this morning based on passage, and I don't have uh, any pressure this morning based on topic. Here's where pressure usually sets in, because y'all brought y'all family members today, and y'all know y'all want a home run. I, I know how y'all are. In fact, many of y'all pulled me aside and said, Pastor B., I brought my coworker, and this is the Sunday you better kill it. It's like, bro, that's a lot of pressure. That's a whole lot of pressure. But, you know, many of you have brought friends and loved ones. And listen, I want to remove the pressure today. I'm not, I'm not looking to kill it. You know what I'm looking to today? I'm looking to prove that the tomb is empty. That's the best thing I can do today is remove that pressure. And so... I love the passage that is before us. The passage that is before us is going to talk about the resurrection of Christ. Let me just say this real quick. The resurrection of Christ is the pinnacle of our faith. If somebody walked in right now and said, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and got all the way down here and showed us and laid right here the body of Jesus, and they were able to prove to us that it was the body of Jesus, look, let's go home. Take these lights down, take the cameras off, take this headset off, because our, our faith is in vain. The rest of everything hinges on the tomb being empty. If the tomb is filled with Jesus' body, can we just like pack up and find a really dope brunch spot and just go have brunch today? One that got, you know, crispy edge pancakes because I can't do all fluffy. It got to be fluffy in the middle and them edges. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Them edges got to be crispy. Let's go find that spot. Clinton Street, I think, bakery got the best. That, I know some of y'all cafe, LaLuca. LaLuca? Yeah, whatever. It's not it, though. It's not it. It's not. It's not. I'm telling you. So let's go. Let's go. Let's go find a spot with a real dope vibe. I know some of y'all want some mimosas. I know how y'all. I know how y'all are. It's young church. Young church. Pray for us. <laughs> Parents, I'm sorry. This, you sent them with the mimosas. We didn't. We didn't put that one on them. And so let's find a dope brunch spot. If the tomb is not empty, but if the tomb is empty. Should you not give everything for that? If, if the tomb is empty, should you not give your life to that? Why? Because if the tomb is empty, it validates the very words that we read today. So I am grateful that the tomb is empty, and I just want to prove it. That's, that's my point today. Let's act like this is a courtroom, right? This is a real tight courtroom, and let's, let's act like I'm Benjamin Crump. 
Okay? Let's act like I'm Johnny Cochran and, you know, I'm, 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 I'm kind of laying my case before you. Let's act like the case that is before us is if the tomb is empty or not empty. Now, if you're in here and, you, you know, I, I know how Easter is as well. Some of y'all only, this is the first time you came to church all the year long. In fact, the last time you came was last Easter. And look, I, look, we know you trifling. It's all good. We good. We straight. Like, we know it. We good. Ain't nobody judging you. We just know. Okay? But here's the, here's the reality. I want you today, if you're in here and you're a skeptic, and you are a doubter, and, you know, some of us pride ourselves on doubt. Some of us really do. We probably we'd be like, oh, you know, I don't take nothing at face value. You know, I'm going to have to examine everything. And that's all good. My, I wonder if the only thing that you haven't doubted is your doubts. So here's what I want you to do today, just for 40 minutes. You can walk out of here and disbelieve everything I'm saying, but for 40 minutes, will you let your boy lay his case down before you? Now, you're probably going, well, brother, pastor, what about you? You ever, you ever doubted your doubts? You, you, ever, you ever had to examine what you believe? I would say yes and amen. In fact, I think my faith gives me room to do so because Paul says in the next letter, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, he says, examine yourself to see if you are of the faith. And I love that he says, examine myself, because he gives me room to go through the scriptures and see if what I believe is actually true. So there have been several times in my life that I've examined the word of God and I've examined if the resurrection is true. And every time I always walk away more confident, more trustworthy, more dependent on the word of God, because I know that the word of God is true. By the way, I've also went to Israel and been to the tomb and he ain't there. He wasn't in there like, yo, what up, man? It's good to see you. No, he was, not, he was not there. The tomb was actually empty. And so I just want you to just let me lay my case down before you today. Now, I love this passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Just quick context. It's the longest chapter in this book in 1 Corinthians. It's the longest. Now, he has, he, Paul has spent time talking about very, very weighty, very weighty subjects. In fact, the whole point of this passage is what I want to do today, which is proving to them that the resurrection is true. I had a preaching class a couple of weeks ago, and I told the class, I said, whatever the point of the passage is, should be the point of the text. And I just want to say that to all of you who maybe you're just visiting here and, you know, you don't know how we flow. Maybe I got to build some credibility with you. But let me just be clear how we work through scripture is, is whatever the scriptures say is the main point of the text is always the main point of our sermon. Because what Paul does is Paul spends 58 verses walking through the resurrection of Christ. And in this, in this book, he's, he's written on some very, very important things. In chapter 3, he was talking about the division in the church. In chapter number 6, he got them because they was messy. They were, they were gifted. But 1 Corinthians was probably the most messiest church in all of the New Testament. If you keep going on in chapter 7, he talks about principles for marriage. In chapter 11, he's talking about prophecy. In chapter 12, he's talking about spiritual gifts. How do I know? Because he starts the chapter in chapter 12 saying, I don't want you to be uninformed about the spiritual gifts. And so he teaches them. Chapter 14, he tells them about orderly worship. Whenever you come into a gathering setting, he talks about somebody having a hymn, somebody having a sermon, somebody having a scripture. But it's very clear to me that he's like, all of y'all don't be going crazy with tongues. He says, because if everybody starts speaking in tongues, somebody, an, an outsider that, you know, that, that, that just came to church for the first time is going to think y'all are all out of your minds. And so he says, three people each in turn. He gives us clarity on how we should operate. Then he gets to chapter 15 and he spends 58 verses talking about the resurrection 
of Christ. But here's the craziest thing. Out of all the stuff Paul talked about, Paul is very clear on what is priority. Because he says in verse number three, for I deliver to you as of first importance. Somebody say first importance. Out of all the things that Paul talked about in the book of 1 Corinthians, out of everything he's talked about in 2 Corinthians, let me broaden it. He wrote 75% of the New Testament. And Paul is like, out of everything I wrote about, nothing's more important than the resurrection. Nothing. Because the resurrection has the ability to secure your faith. I don't know about y'all, but knowing that Jesus actually got up, that he actually had power, that the Baptist would say early on Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. That doesn't make me just want to jump and shout. That makes me want to go and live. That, that make, when, when the angel said, come and, come and see, that, after I saw, that makes me want to go and tell that the tomb is actually empty. And so in chapter 15, he's laying out his case. And I, I want to do three. I want to take three critical pieces of evidence. It's a courtroom. I'm a lawyer. I just want to take three critical pieces of evidence and prove to you that the tomb is actually empty. These come straight out of scripture. The first witness or proof that the tomb is empty is the scriptures. First, the second is the eyewitnesses. The third is the actual empty tomb itself. Let me let me do that again, just in case you were writing. The first proof of evidence is the scriptures. And when I say scriptures, I mean Old Testament, not new. Why do I have to say that? Because the New Testament, when Paul writes this, isn't completed yet. Now, there were some things that Paul wrote that he was like, hey, what I'm saying to you is a command of the Lord. So the early church would have understood that some of Paul's writings were authoritative. But when Paul says the scriptures, he's reaching all the way back to the Old Testament. So what Paul is saying in the text is the scriptures affirm that Jesus rose. The eyewitnesses affirm that Jesus rose. What Paul is saying is that the empty tomb affirms that Jesus rose. Let's do the first one, y'all, the scriptures. Look at verse number three. Y'all with me? For I delivered to you as of first importance, but I also received that Christ died for our sins. Watch this in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. If you notice that two times in verses three and verse four, it says in accordance with the scriptures. But, you know, sometimes we can read that and just think it's redundant. But Paul is actually saying two different things. Watch what he's saying. The first time he says, he says, Christ died in accordance with the scriptures. Then he says, wait, 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 wait. But he also rose in accordance with the scriptures. Now, why is that important? Because if I pass the mic around this room, most of y'all can find me an Old Testament passage on how Christ uh, fulfilled the prophecies that he would die. We can go to Isaiah 53 and see places where the scriptures are very clear that Jesus came to die, that he was crushed by our iniquities. And we like, yes and amen. But if I pass the mic and ask you, give me Old Testament passages that show that he rose. Many of us will be like, ah, I don't know. I don't know those passages. But here's what I know. Peter, I mean, Paul just said, I can prove to you that the tomb is empty because the Old Testament is the first to affirm that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy by actually rising from the dead. Now, when ancient readers would have heard this letter and Paul saying in accordance with the scripture that he rose, they would have knew what scripture. What I was baffled by this morning is going, well, why didn't Paul just tell us the scripture? Why didn't he say, well, he rose in accordance with boom and hit us with an Old Testament scripture? He doesn't do that. 
when he says in accordance with the scripture, he assumes that they know the scripture that he's talking about. What scriptures is he talking about? He's talking about places like Psalm 16. Let me read Psalm 16 for you. I have set the Lord always before me. This is David's words. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Watch this. And let your holy one see corruption. Now, I know what you're doing. You're going, ah, that's, you know, that's not really that clear, though. Right. That, that, that don't that don't really sound that I want to hear Jesus rose from the Old Testament. But when the ancient reader would have heard about oh, David's words in Psalm 16, they would have immediately pointed that to the resurrection of Christ. Let me give you proof. I'm laying my case down. Paul or Peter actually preaches from Psalm 16. In Acts chapter two, do me a favor, go there real quick. In Acts chapter two, I think it'll pull up. Peter spends time preaching from Psalm 16. And when he does, look at what he says in verse 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh uh, also dwelled in hope. Uh, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. That's Psalm 16. Or let your Holy One see corruption. After he finishes uh, 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 giving the scripture, he gives us expository thoughts on it. In other words, he explains it. When he explains it, here's what he says in verse number 29. Brothers, I may say this with confidence about the patriarch David. He both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. In other words, David ain't writing about himself because he died and he's still dead. But then he goes, y'all gonna let me teach this morning. But then he goes on in verse 31 and says, uh, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. And that he was abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up. So David, I mean, so so David wrote about the resurrection of Christ. And so when I say to y'all next year, hey, what scriptures tell me about the resurrection of Christ in the Old Testament? Y'all better say Psalm 16, David. Okay, maybe that one didn't get you. What about Jonah? We read Jonah as this cute story that we learned as a kid. It's really not cute where a, a big fish swallows up a man and holds him there. But do you know that the scripture is very clear in, in, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, that God prepared a great fish and that it swallowed up Jonah and that Jonah was in the belly of, of this fish for three days and three nights. And we read that and be like, man, that's dope. But that story is not just about Jonah. And the, uh, the Old Testament, the, the ancient readers would have known that. Why? Because Jesus preaches about Jonah. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 and 41. For just as Jonah was in was, was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in, uh, with judgment, at judgment with the generation that condemned it. They repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus says, I know y'all like the cute story about Jonah, but that scripture points to my resurrection. So when I say the scriptures affirm that Jesus rose. I'm talking the Old Testament pointed me to this thing that's going to happen in the future, not just his death, but the fact that he will get up with all power in his hands. 
What I love about the scriptures today is, is that Paul wants to be very clear that one of, the, one of the affirmations of the resurrection is the scriptures. And can I just say to y'all, listen, if this don't breed some type of like encouragement and confidence in the scriptures that when the Bible says it's going to do something, it does it. This is why we read from the scriptures. This is why we memorize scripture. This is why we preach from the scripture. This is why we labor before the Lord to understand scripture because scripture is true. Scripture is, is validated. I'm not in here looking at a bunch of contradictions. I'm not in here going, oh, but this don't match up with this. If there, now, there is some stuff that's gray. Can we affirm it? There, there's some stuff that I'm like, oh, man, like, I, I, I don't know. Some of y'all come to me with some deep questions, and honestly, I can make it up, but I just be like, bro, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know that there's a scripture where Peter talks about Paul's writings? And Peter says when he's talking about Paul's writings, there are some things that Paul writes that are hard to understand. Can we agree that when the scripture says that the scriptures are hard to understand, it's hard to understand? Even the Bible says there's some stuff that you, ain't just, you just ain't going to know. But here's what I do know. I do know that the scriptures are true even if I am skeptical on some parts of it or I don't like some parts of it. I am, I am confident that the scriptures affirm themselves because the Bible says in the Old Testament that Jesus would die, that he would be in the belly of the great fish for, the, for three days, but on early Sunday morning, he would get up with all power in his hands. So the Bible says, in accordance with the scriptures. My first piece of evidence before this courtroom today scriptures. Now, I know you, you guys are like, ah, yeah, but you, how you going, how the scriptures going to affirm themselves, right? How the scriptures going, like, it's kind of like me, you know, if, if, if I'm trying to affirm myself in something, it's not validated unless it comes from the outside. I need somebody from the outside to validate what I feel on the inside. So let's do that. Let's not look at scripture today. What about the eyewitnesses? Because all of the eyewitnesses affirm that Jesus rose. Look back at the scriptures with me. The Bible says, I'm in verse number, verse number three. No, verse number four. It says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas. Somebody say Cephas. And then he appeared to the 12 and then he appeared to uh, more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. I, first of all, I love that because Paul, because Paul is like, there are some eyewitnesses that are still alive. So if you want to pull up, pull up on them. And they'll, They'll give you an account of the, that they saw the resurrected king. He says, then he appeared to James, and then he appeared to the apostles, and then he appeared as one untimely born. He appeared also to me, uh, Paul, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. There, there, there are several eyewitnesses that are named in this passage, and, and, and I love this because many of them are still, most of them are still alive. The first one that he says is a great eyewitness to the resurrection of Christ is Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter. So the first one that affirms that the tomb is empty and Jesus rose is Peter. Now, here's why Peter's a good eyewitness, because Peter is an honest biblical character. What I mean by that is the scriptures gives us Peter's ups and it gives us his downs. And so if it if he fluctuated on the resurrection we would know about it because he fluctuated on the identity of Christ. Y'all remember last week when I was like, Peter denied Jesus three times? Do you know there's another place in, 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 in Galatians 3 where the Bible says that Peter is sitting with the Jews and I mean the Gentiles and he's chilling, he's enjoying them. And then finally the Jews get there and he starts to act hypocritical. And when he acts hypocritical, Paul calls him to the side and says, bro, you out of step with the gospel. 
You're, you're, you're hypocritical. And he repents and he gets back in step with the gospel. That's a low moment for Peter. What about after Jesus died? The Bible says that he goes back fishing. In other words, I'm giving up on this thing called mission and I'm going back to my old ways. I'm going back to my old habits. And I, I just wonder, see, if, if I'm Peter, I'm going to be like, Paul, leave that out. Don't just don't put that one in. Like they're going to read this for centuries. Let your boy be on top. But it doesn't. It gives us his highs and it gives us his lows. And if Peter fluctuated on the resurrection of Christ, do you know the Bible would tell us? But you can't find a scripture where Peter fluctuated on the resurrection of Christ because once he saw the resurrected king, he believed it all the way to his death. Let me talk about Peter's death. Here's more proof. When Peter dies, the, 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 the history shows me that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't see himself worthy to die the same way his savior would have died. So this Peter that fluctuated on his spiritual life, when he saw the resurrected king, he lived for him for the rest of his days. So Peter, the first eyewitness. You know who the second eyewitness to the resurrection is? It says the 12. I don't want to go long here, but the 12 is the 12 disciples. And remember when Jesus just showed up and appeared? I love the detail in the scripture. The detail is that the, that the 12 disciples were all together and the doors were locked. Now, I love that because when Jesus appears, he doesn't knock on the door. He doesn't open the door. He doesn't climb through the window. The Bible says he just appears, which is crazy because that means after Jesus died and before he ascended to heaven, he had the ability to appear and disappear, which, which leads me to, to try to wrestle with why the tomb, why the stone was rolled away. Because Jesus doesn't have to roll the stone away to get out if we already know in Scripture that he knows how to disappear and appear. So the, the stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so that you can get in. And you can see that the tomb is empty. And you can see that Jesus folded up his clothes. You know how dope that is? Jesus literally completes the work of salvation. He was brutally beat. He was, he was mangled. His body was ripped to shreds. And he still had time to clean up. I need somebody that need to clean that room. Be like Jesus today. Still got time to clean up. The Bible says he folds his clothes and he lays them in the tomb. That's so dope to me that when the stone was rolled away, all you saw was clothes with a hole in it. Oh, y'all didn't get that. And so the Bible says that he had just appears to the twelve. So that means they saw the resurrected king. Then it says he appeared to 500 brothers at one time. Listen, y'all, I get it. I get it. If you're skeptical, one or two people, right, like Peter, that may not do it. The 12, they might be in cahoots on stealing the body because that's what some people say, that they stole the body or, or, or the 500, they would say that they were all hallucinating. I've actually heard that as an argument. 500 people, yeah, they might have saw something, but they all hallucinated. Here's my argument back. When you hallucinate... We ain't going to all hallucinate on the same thing. Like, like we rolling deep in the room today. I, I haven't counted, but I'm willing to bet it's about 500 or, or plus in this room. But imagine, like, what if, you know, what, what if we just got real crazy and the welcome team started passing out bad edibles and some shrooms? And everybody got to take one, and then you popped it, and we was, you know, and then after a while, we started feeling, or Celsius, because sometimes them Celsius drinks. Where are Mari at? Them Celsius drinks. I drank one. I was in the city one time and Ty was away. I drank one of them Celsius drinks. I legit felt like I was high. I was going, God, don't let me see somebody from Epiphany because they're going to think I'm high today. 
But what if we all just passed around some, some crazy hallucinating drugs and we all took the drugs? Here's the thing. We might all hallucinate, but we won't all see the same thing. That, that I know. That I know that we will not all see the same thing. Y'all over here might see a pink puffy cloud. Y'all, y'all over here might, might see some smoke and some type of crazy mist. Y'all over here might see an old family member. Y'all over here might, might see, what, what's the young lady name that did like this? Y'all might see her, right? She might just pop up. But even if in our sections we all saw the same thing, it's no way all of us going to see the exact, unless there's something spiritual at work. If we all saw the resurrected king, that is a great eyewitness. He says here he appeared to Cephas, Peter. He appeared to the 12. He appeared to 500 brothers, and I love the text, all at the same time. Then it says that he appeared to James. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. I want to be clear, half-brother of Jesus. And so this is James that, 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 that at one point, James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, actually denied and wasn't clear that Jesus was the Messiah. Let me take you to Scripture. John chapter 7, verse 5, here's what it says about the brothers of Jesus. For not even his brothers believed in him. Talking about James. Not even James believed in him. So here's the question. What caused James to go from doubting that his half-brother was the Messiah to actually believing it, it would have been the resurrection? Now, I don't know if y'all got siblings in here, but what would cause you to think your sibling was worthy of worship and was the Messiah? Think about that. Some of y'all are like, nah, he, he the son of the devil, not the, he is not the son of God. I can tell you that. What would cause us to, to think that our, our half-sibling is actually the Messiah? It, it would only work if something mystical happened and you were sitting in your room playing Fortnite after your brother died and then he showed up next to you and then started to talk about he's the Messiah and he proved it to you, your life would be changed forever. You would worship him because he appeared after he died. It is the resurrection that caused James to believe that his brother was the Messiah, even though John 7 says he doubted. The resurrection of Christ. James is a great example. Finally, I love Paul because Paul's like, man, I'm giving you all this. What about me? That's what Paul says. In verse number eight, look at Paul's words. He says, in verse number eight, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And I love this detail. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Paul is like, I gave you all these names of these eyewitnesses, but the resurrected king before he ascended actually showed up to me. Y'all remember the story in Acts chapter 9? I don't know if y'all know it, but the Bible says that he's riding on a horse. Paul is riding on a horse, and Jesus shows up, and he knocks him off the horse. And so Jesus, after he died, appeared to Paul. Now, now think about Paul. Paul has built his entire career off Jesus not rising. He, he, he's built his entire career off of Jesus not being the Messiah. He's built his entire career off of Jesus not being true and, and not just being a prophet or some type of good teacher, but not actually being God in the flesh. And so Paul is like, I'm a good witness. Here it is, because I'm actually one that persecuted the church. I took innocent people and I, I, I dragged them out of their house and flogged them. I went deeper. I'm the one that approved and signed off on the 
stoning of Stephen, and I held his cloak. I'm the one that, that saw innocent families ripped apart in the name of this false teacher, this false messiah. But he showed up to me. And when he showed up to me, it changed everything. How many know when Jesus actually appears to you and you believe in the resurrection, it changes everything? I'm serious when I say that. And most of the doubt, most of the doubt that many of you have in this room, if you're in here and you're skeptical over the resurrection, you're skeptical over Christ being completely Lord in your life, if you're skeptical of those things, I would rather not debate with you on the minutia. I'd rather talk to you about the resurrection because if you believe the resurrection, you'll believe the minutia. I got to prove this to you. So years ago when Ty and I, we first got married, our first apartment, uh, both of our boys were, were born while we were in that apartment. Um, there was a park. There was a, a little, little park outside of our house, not even across the street, like literally outside the window. And I took the boys one day to the park, and I'm sitting there, and I was bored. You know, this is be, you know, before you have devices and with your, you know, your Bible app on it. And so I pulled out my Bible, my physical copy, and I started to read it. And there was a young man that came and sat next to me, and he started to ask me questions about the Bible. I realized in the conversation that he was actually a Hebrew Israelite. And so we're talking, and you know, they can be very combative, you know, just you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I don't know if you've ever seen them on Notion Avenue, the Power Ranger gear on, and somebody go, read! Next person, blah, 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 blah. read! I be like, get on this train real quick. So this year, if you're, if you're a Hebrew, it's like, I meant no shade. No, I meant shade. I meant shade. I meant shade. Trust in the resurrection. Trust me. So I'm talking to this young man, and he's talking to me about, you know, you know his, his belief and his faith, and I'm talking to him about mine, and of course, we were not seeing eye to eye, we kind of was going back and forth, and then I accidentally, because I, I didn't know this at the time, I accidentally mentioned the Trinity. Now, that's a no-no when you're talking to a Hebrew, it's like, bro, you believe in three gods? Nah, bro, I believe in one that shows himself in three different persons. So yeah, I believe in the Trinity, I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, and I believe in God the Holy Spirit. All three gods, but don't, don't twist it, they ain't three gods, they're one God that shows himself in three persons. I gave him every scripture I knew. <laughs> every, and when I was done, he was like, nah, bro, that ain't it. I was like, all right, maybe an analogy will work. So I gave him the analogy of the egg. Y'all know the analogy with there's an eggshell, there's egg white, and there's an egg yolk, but all of them is the egg. And I was like, oh, he, I got him, I got him. He's like, nah, bro, that ain't it. So then I gave him, I gave him the, the analogy of the H2O. Y'all know the, and the H2O where, where H2O appears in, to, to be ice, a solid. It appears to be water, and then it can be, appear to be vapor. And I thought I killed that, and he's like, nah, bro. And then I realized there's nothing I'm, I'm going to say to this young man that's actually going to convince him of, of the Trinity. Now, that, to him, that's, that's a big deal. But in my mind, I'm like, ah, you know, let's, let's get to Christ. Now, here's the thing. I said, bro, what would convince you that the Trinity is true? He said, Jesus would have to show up in the park right now, prove to me that he was Jesus and tell me it was true. And then I would believe it. And then God showed me it right there. Right there, God showed me that it doesn't matter the questions and it doesn't matter the debates and it doesn't matter the topics and it doesn't matter what we're going back and forth on. If I can get you to believe that tomb is empty and I can get you to believe that the resurrection of Christ is real, everything else falls into place. What would make Paul, stop persecuting Christians. What would make Paul go from persecuting Christians to praising Jesus? What would make James go from saying, it's no way he's the Messiah, I grew up with him, he ain't it, to saying, he is our Lord, the resurrection. 
What would make 500 people at the same time believe in the resurrection is if Jesus showed up? But what would make Peter, what would make Peter so confident in his faith is if Jesus showed up? So the resurrection is huge. Everything hinges upon the resurrection. First point of evidence that I want to lay before this courtroom is the scriptures. The Old Testament affirms that the tomb is empty. Psalm 16, Isaiah 53, Jonah 1, all proves to me that Jesus rose as the scriptures showed us. What's the second piece of evidence that I want to lay before this courtroom? The second piece of evidence is the eyewitnesses. Paul, Peter, James, the 12, 500. Finally, the last piece of evidence is the empty tomb itself. It actually affirms the resurrection. Now, what people do is they play silly games. We play silly games with the, with the, well, the tomb is empty because they were in cahoots and they stole the body of Jesus. How? Bro, that's, it's impossible. Now, you got to understand that the tomb was guarded by three things. Number one, there was Roman soldiers. Now, we read that and we don't think that's a big deal. But you didn't mess with Rome and you didn't mess with their soldiers. And so the soldiers guarded the tomb all night. So there's no way the disciples got in there and stole a body, not with two Roman guards there. And then the next piece of proof that the, the tomb is a, is a good evidence is because on the tomb was a Roman seal. And everybody understood that if I removed that Roman seal, I was signing my death warrant because that means that that Roman tomb, that that tomb was under Roman control and nobody played with Rome. The second is, what about the stone itself? Remember when the Marys were walking to come to the tomb, the Bible says that they were arguing with each other. And they were saying, which one of us is going to move the tomb, the stone? Because they understood that it, you, it takes a certain skill, might, and tools in order to remove the stone. Getting past one of them would have been hard. Getting past all three is impossible. So the empty tomb, many of us, we'll go through all of these lengths and jump through all of these hoops to prove that the body was stolen. You know it's a lot easier to just say it's empty because he rose? I don't got to play the games because... The tomb is empty simply based on him rising from the dead. All of these point me to the fact that Jesus actually did get up, that, that he is not there. Now, Epiphany, it's, it's, I don't want y'all to be, the, 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 I don't want us to be the type of church that comes in here on Easter, put on our nice little Easter wear and go out and do nothing with it. If the tomb is empty and the angel says, come and see, and you came and saw, we should go and tell. We should go and live. We should go and breathe it. It should be a part of our DNA. It should be a part of your ethos. It should be a part of the rhythm of your life. The tomb being empty changes everything. It's because the tomb is empty. I want to give my life to it. Remember when I was talking about Peter? I'm ending here. Remember when I was talking about Peter? was preaching from Acts. In Acts chapter 2, he's preaching from Psalm 16. Do you know when he was preaching from Psalm 16, at the end of that chapter, the Bible's going to talk about 3,000 souls being added to the church. But do you know that the scriptures are very clear? That the Bible says that the people who heard Peter were cut to their hearts. And then they asked Peter a question. What shall we do? He says, repent and be baptized. That's conversion because you only baptize people who have professed faith. Repent and be baptized. Now, what I don't want to do is this emotional Easter response. I'm tired of that. I probably did that the first three years of the church. It's emotional. Y'all ain't been to church. Come to Jesus. Oh, come. Thank you, Lord. And then we don't see you all year long. 
I'm not doing an emotional response, call and response today. If you are sitting as a juror and you're in this courtroom and the case has been laid before you, you got a decision to make. What is the decision? Not whether the tomb is empty or not, but whether you're going to give your life to the tomb being empty or not. I believe that God is speaking to somebody that's in this room. I believe that God is speaking to somebody that's online. I don't know if this camera is on, but if it is, turn this one on. I believe that God is speaking to somebody that is online. I believe that God is speaking to somebody that's out in the lobby. Shout out to y'all out in the lobby. It takes a, sp a special spiritual awareness to sit in the lobby. Watch the service. I think God is speaking to somebody that's under the sound of my voice and you've lived your life long enough where you played church and you did church or maybe you didn't do church at all but either one either one God is he's coming after you today since the day you hear my voice harden not your heart I believe he's speaking to somebody today I believe that God is moving today on your heart and let me promise you you can run for a while but when God wants you he just says mine because his grace is irresistible. You are, I'm, I am personally overwhelmed by the mercy of Christ. Because let me tell y'all something, man. Jesus, like Jesus really is that dude. Like Jesus really is good. And if heaven was not promised to me, do y'all know I would still give my life for him? Because he's good. And you can't find nobody to do what Jesus did. Search your, search your contacts. Go through your phone. Go through. If you old school and got a Rolodex, go through it. You won't find nobody to do what Jesus did. Nobody. Find somebody that will die for your sins. No, let me back up. Find somebody that lived a perfect life. That X's out all your contacts. You ain't got nobody you know that lived perfectly. Never sinned. Never made a mistake. Never lied. Never cheated. God in Christ has become but then if you, if you did find that one person in your, in your phone that actually is a perfect person, get that person to willingly give their perfection for your sin and shame. You won't find that, bro. You won't find another king. Like most kings in ancient times would have their servant die for them. This is, this is why there's somebody that drank the cup and make sure that they didn't poison the king. Because the, the king understood that my servants are supposed to die for me. But in Christ, he switches it. He says, you ain't drinking from the cup. In fact, he sat in the garden and said, I'm going to drink from the cup and make sure that you don't die. So if you, if you got that person, listen, bro, go with it. My sis, go with it. But if you don't, if you don't have a person that's perfect, willing to give their life for your, and not only just give their life, but actually take on, not just take on your sins, but become your sin. This hit me this morning. I was reading Romans 8 where the Bible says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. I always read that verse and was like, oh man, like he took on my sins. No, it didn't say he took on your sins. It says he became your sins. He became that affair. He, he became that lust. He became that porn. He became that cheating. And he did so all because he wants you to stand before God and be blameless and holy and righteous. I just don't know who wouldn't give their life to that. So every head bowed and every eye closed. Acts 2, they said, what should we do? You're talking about the resurrection. Peter, what should we do? Repent. 
be baptized. What's made available to you today is salvation. Listen, that, that don't, I was talking about brunch earlier today. That ain't on the menu. Salvation? That's the greatest, that's the great, that's the greatest gift that you could ever receive. And I want to talk to somebody that's, ah, man, thank you, Lord. There's somebody in this room that you've over-spiritualized your life and you've given your life to church, not Jesus. I know you in here. Giving your life to church, not Jesus. You didn't know who, can I give you my testimony real quick? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Man, I'm telling y'all, I was born and raised in church and my, my parents did all they could to present me before the gospel. But it was one of those things where you heard it, but you didn't hear it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? At the age of 28, a friend began to share the gospel with me in the parking lot of the church. And I was convicted to my heart. Not in that moment, but later on that week, because I went to the scriptures to try to disprove them, and God grabbed me up. And then I saw scripture as different. Then I saw my life as different. Because when Jesus comes in your life, you don't stay the same. Let me say that again. When Jesus comes into your life, you don't stay the same. So young man, young lady, I don't know who it is, but today's a good day to give your life to him because he's good, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's kind. And today he offers forgiveness. Didn't matter what you did. I could care, I could care less. If he can save a murderer like Paul, he can save you. If he can save a fisherman that's uneducated like Peter, he can save you. If he can save his half-brother who doubted him, he can save you. So I'm not going to make this long. We can't do an altar call because it's tight in here. But if that's you, if you, you would say, the resurrection has, has it sold me today. I want to give my life to this one that rose with all power in his hands. Today, that's that day for you. You would just raise your hand. You would say, I want to give my life to him. I want to trust him. I want to, I, I want to walk with him. Thank you for that hand over here. I want to walk. Thank you for that. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Like God, you are doing a work. Your revival is taking. Father, I pray, oh God, that the one that's nervous right now and sitting on the fence, Father, today, today, pursue them to where they can't go back to their old life. Pursue them in a way Oh, God, that they realize they are forgiven forever. Help them to understand that, yeah, I might have messed up. Yeah, I know I did a lot in my past. But, Lord, today you wipe it clean. Lord, I pray for that person. If that's you, just raise your hand up. Come on, I see that hand. I see those hands. I said, thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Revival's happening. I see like eight nine, ten hands in the room that have said, I want to profess faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Those of you who raise your hands and still have your hands raised, I'm not going to embarrass you and it's kind of tight in here so we can't, we can't do an altar call. My sis Yolanda is, is right here. I, I need y'all to see her. Yolanda, where will you be after service? Right by the sound booth is where Yolanda's going to be. Do me a favor. Please don't leave out of here today without seeing her simply because we want to we want to get your information and also give you next steps. God never saves us so that we're just like lone rangers. He always saves us and baptizes us into a body. If you've professed faith, can you believe it's that easy? Like, like think it's that easy that Jesus Christ has done a work today and you ain't got to jump through hoops. You ain't got to take a class. You ain't got to sign up. That easy. 
Jesus ransoms our hearts. It's grace. It's grace. Father, I thank you, oh God, for every person that raised their hand in here. I know I'm a little long-winded today, Lord, but I, I love you, Lord. I love you. And I thank you, oh God, that your word is true. That Psalm 16 tells me you were rising. Hey, you did. Isaiah 53 tells me that you would die, but you would rise. Shoot, you actually did. And so, Lord, if you rose and you told us that you would, we believe you with other promises, like you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We believe you with other promises, like you're coming back for us. Lord, church without a spot or a wrinkle, and you will take us to be with you forever. Father, we are living to that end. We are not changing behavior to earn your salvation. You've given it to us, and therefore we now want to behave because you have ransomed us. I thank you for the hands that went up today. May they never be the same. I pray their families would be saved because of their decision today. I pray everybody on their job would give their life to you because of their decision today. I pray that they, that, that, that whole block and their whole building and the whole floor would give their life to you because they've given their life to you today. So Lord, we thank you for the work of salvation. For those that are in the room that have already trusted in you, Lord, I pray that this promise of your resurrection would give us confidence to walk in boldness with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.